Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age. So parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. Today, my guest and good friend, Jennifer Sullivan, frankly, is one of the most fascinating persons I've ever met, and you'll soon discover why. Somehow, she homeschooled her own four children quite successfully from birth to university entrance while also traveling the world full time. And not just for a year or two, that was for over a decade. Yeah, they did some crazy things, some of which we'll get into today. Jennifer also has a degree in education and has worked with hundreds of families as a consultant and educational coach. She's got over 20 years of experience supporting families in developing world-class education for their children outside the four walls of a classroom beyond school. And she's now the CEO, the Chief Evangelist Officer and Chief Education Officer of Beyond School, an experience she describes as a path between school and homeschooling that enables parents to create a more conscious and intentional education for their children. So if you need help in figuring out the right learning path for you and your family, or you're just simply curious about what might be possible, this episode is for you. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. This is going to be so much fun. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how are you in the midst of everything? How, how are you doing? Good. Chilly this morning. I can't believe it's the middle of October. I don't know where oh, the summer went. I saw snow on the rooftops for the first time today. No, you did not. I did. Uh, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I still got my rain barrel to put away. I better get that done before it freezes. Yeah, I was taking down my tower garden this week and I, my husband just kayaked off from the shore to go out to our boat because it's being put up on the on the blocks for the winter this week. And, you know, just it's the end of a season and the beginning of another. Absolutely. And what a what an amazing metaphor for what we're about to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. And to tell, just tell us a little bit about your your family. Well, my family has shrunk so much in the last few years. I was talking to a friend today and realized that we're down to one kid living at home and he got his college acceptance letter uh, this week. So we wow. know his days are actually numbered at our house right now. <laughs> Um, and I've just been doing a lot of reflecting over the the 25 year long haul. Um, I have four kids who are now 18, 20, 22, and 24, um, and they are doing all kinds of stuff. Our our oldest daughter graduated from Queens. She's got a degree in geography. She runs her own business. Our second one, who's 22, he lives in the states. He captains large vessels. He rebuilds antique boats. He lives on a boat. Number three is in Toronto studying at chef school, which miraculously is happening in person. They managed to modify wow. their program to be COVID friendly and he's doing that's, it. That's creative. 
very creative, but also totally necessary because this is going to be the future reality, right? Like what a, in, in some ways, what a great time to be training instead of trying to pivot and adapt like so many older people are. And then Ez is uh, learning to fly planes and he's been doing that for a couple of years, but he, he just got his acceptance to commercial pilot school in September. And I'm looking around this house thinking, where the heck did all my little crazy monster people go? Because for so many <laughs> years, if I had to choose one word to describe life, it would have been chaos. Fun uh, chaos, but that's chaos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of the stories you shared, it's just amazing. And, you know, <laughs> the, the thing that, that I get when just in listening, you know, you should talk about your, your, your family too is, uh, well, let's not forget Tony, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. He's here. He's kayaking. <laughs> that's right. He's not going anywhere. Nope. Yeah, just just how happy and fulfilled your your kids are, and just choosing that path that that works for them. We're really grateful for that. That is that has been you know when we dropped off number three at college, Tony and I were talking on the way home, and you do this sort of review of like what went well, what went badly. There's this nostalgia for one of them, you know, gaining their wings and heading out into the world, and we. We agree, and the kids agree with us that the best thing that we ever did, the two best things that we ever did for them, one was emancipating them from school, uh, which was a tough thing for us to do originally because I had a lot of investment in that system as somebody who had gotten a degree in education and was a teacher. I was I was bought in, but letting that go was game changing. And the other thing that was game changing was travel with our kids. Those two things have made them who they are and have freed them in so many ways. And I, I knew it at the time and I knew it at every step of the way. But then when your kids are young adults and they're doing their things and they've charted their course, and as you say, they're happy, they're successful, they're motivated, they're, they're bright lights in the world, and they're chasing dreams that they have for themselves and things that they have built for themselves. I just, I realize it in a whole new way. And I'm so thankful for the people who supported us in that, encouraged us, helped us, pushed us out of the nest when we needed it. And we're there to catch, you know, on, on hard days when we were unsure. But it's, yeah, in retrospect, it's been awesome. And I'm so grateful now that I have no little kids in my house that I have all those memories all around the world, even the ones that are hilarious catastrophes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can laugh about them now. I'm sure at the time totally. it was a totally different reaction. Oh, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's really what it's all about, right? As, as, a, as a parent, to see our kids thriving in that way. That's, that's so wonderful. I'd love to go back in time a little bit. And, and as you mentioned, you, know, you started out more with a, you know, in the education, traditional education world. And yeah. how, how on earth did you go from that to, yeah, let's travel around the world for a decade and <laughs> enjoy life? Well, we have to dial back a little bit further than that, actually, because my parents took me out of third grade and eighth grade, and we traveled for those two winters around Central America. And those two years were hands down the best years of my childhood and the best years of my education in terms of both the academic quality of what I learned and the experiential learning that happened. And so, you know, as a young adult, as young parents, we knew that we wanted to have that be an element of our kids' education. So we always knew that we would do some form of gap year with them or substantial travel of some sort because that had been so foundational to my life and my experience. But, you know, then got my degree, you buy a house, you have a couple of kids, all of the things that you in life that just creep up on you. Mm -hmm. And before long, you know, we had these four little kids and we're locked into a, a system. My husband had a great job. He worked at Apple. He did all of the, the right things, had a successful career. 
And we just realized that, wow, you know, time is, is slipping away. And if we're going to do this, we, we got to do this. And so Ezra, our youngest, was two years old and we were driving around on a set Sunday afternoon and the kids were all passed out in the back of the car when Tony and I made a commitment that, okay, we're going to do this. And we set a date two years on from then, uh, April 1st, which is hilarious because we've made <laughs> so many life changes on April Fool's Day that it's, it's almost a family holiday. <laughs> We've bought and sold houses. We've taken off on major life changes. That's awesome. You can take that for what you will. <laughs> <laughs> that seems so fitting, actually. I'm not surprised oh, yes. at all. <laughs> In the good ways and the bad ways. And I own both sides. So <laughs> <laughs> But we you know, we decided that we were gonna we were gonna do this. We were gonna take off and our we had such a huge dream. It was enormous. We were gonna do a one year gap here with our kids. <laughs> one year. One year, we were going to sell our stuff. He was going to quit his job. We were going to take a one-year trip. And with four little kids, we didn't... At that point, you know, pre-internet, this would have been 2003 or four. So, you know, blogging was just starting to happen. The internet was just starting to be a thing that you could search and join other people with. And we didn't know anybody else who was doing anything like that. We eventually found Nancy Vogel's family, who I'm, I'm sure at okay, some point yep. you'll have on. Uh, they were the only other people crazy enough to be, to be doing what we were doing that we could find. Obviously, there were many, many, many others, but we weren't well connected yet. Yeah, the, um, Facebook didn't exist back then. No, right. We were so happy when it, when it did for lots of reasons, but that's another story. Yeah, so we spent two years you know, researching, planning, test tripping, trying to figure it out. We finally settled on... The idea of riding our bicycles from London, England to Africa and back. And that would be our one-year trip with our kids. Mostly mm. camping because that felt like the way to have the most possible educational interaction with the world and with people. You know, not behind glass in a car even, but really moving ourselves through the world. You know, low, uh, low energy impact. There were just lots of reasons that we decided to do it that way. And we did. We took off and we, we did that trip for a year in 2008. And then I'm curious too, Jennifer, like what, what did it take to, to make that happen? Right. Like obviously, you know, your lingo, your, the work that you had and whatnot, right? Like what were, I mean, not everything's necessarily, but what were some of the key things that you had to, to choose or to put in place to, to enable that? Well, you know, I, you and I have talked about this in other contexts with, with a family adventure. The main thing is just making the decision to do it. Once you have a firm commitment and you've agreed that you're going to do it, that just changes things. And when you set a date on something, it lights a fire under you in a way that nothing else really does. And then when you tell people, you know, you tell your friends, you tell your family, you tell people, we're going to do this on April Fool's Day, come what may, you know, then, then you got to show up in a way because you, you've put your reputation on the line, right? But then, you know, we had, to, we had to remodel the house so that we could sell it. We had to quit, you know, to, we had to save money so that we could afford to do it because there was no way for us to work remotely or be location independent at that time. So my husband quit his job with Apple, which people thought he'd lost his living mind for doing that. Sure. Why would you yeah. quit Apple, for goodness sakes? <laughs> Imagine the stock options now. <laughs> right? Oh, it's <laughs> not a popular topic at our house. <laughs> yeah. We could uh, have a lifetime of memories or we could have a lot of money. I'm glad we picked the one we did. <laughs> yes. Yes. Priceless. Um, yeah. But, you know, making the commitment, that was the big one. And just saying like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to do this. And then, you know working backwards to figure out all the little stuff that had to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, At least of which I, was potty training the youngest child. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I'll probably save that for another day, but <laughs> we'll get into that story. But I'm kind of curious, like, you know, so obviously, so you, you plan to do it for, for a year and then that became, 
you know, 10 years, obviously you found a way to keep making that work and, and, and it was working for you as a, as a family. Um, what, what were some of your, maybe your, your favorite moments that were both, you know, incredible in a exciting way and also in a, oh my God, we survived that kind of way. The lowest point without question was uh, in October of 2008, that first year we were traveling, waking up on in our tent on the top of the highest sea cliff on the Adriatic coast of Italy and realizing that the markets had crashed and all of our money that we had saved, all of it was gone, except for the couple thousand dollars we had liquid in our account, which we were intentionally keeping small so that if we had a card stolen, it wasn't a big deal. And realizing that that we had no house, we had no jobs, and we had no money. And we had four kids and we lived in the tent. <laughs> yeah, what's, you know. In retrospect, it was also one of the best things that could have possibly happened mm-hmm. because it forced creativity and it forced us to figure it out and to make choices about what we really wanted for a lifestyle, not just for a year. I think if that hadn't happened, we would have been tempted to work our plan, go back, get jobs, carry on with life. But when everything, when the world fell apart, and there were no jobs, and it was all a mess, we really started to ask some fundamental questions about what we wanted to do, what our kids wanted to do, what was working in life. We were going to have to rebuild no matter what now. So what would that look like? And that was the catalyst for us figuring out how to live and work anywhere, recognizing just how beneficial the travel was to the education of our kids, and including them in the dream building a little bit more in ways that we just didn't occur to us to, to begin with, you know, because getting outside the box is baby steps often. Mm, wow. Yeah. I, as you're sharing that, I, I can't help but think about how right now is a lot of that moments for a lot of families, you know? Yeah, we've talked all, about that. Yeah. All yeah. the things that we've had in place that felt good and secure potentially and has all come crumbling down. And, and, yeah. and a lot of parents and families are, are faced with, you know, not maybe not as a beautiful landscape situation as, as you were in, but still quite devastating in a lot of ways. So yeah, I, you know, we'll get into that a bit more in terms of you know, what, what can families do, right? Particularly around, around education, as we start to realize it's, it's not what we thought it was going to be, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, you, just, you got some super cool stories too. I'm actually, I remember you talking once and, and my mouth dropped and you know, I've, I've, I'm sure you've got other, you've probably more amazing stories, but I remember you talking about your daughter traveling on her own, I think she was 13 or 14 from Guatemala to Belize. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, her first solo trip, we were living in Guatemala and she took off with a couple of other teenagers and backpacked into Belize and uh, spent some time doing that. We got a lot of uh, feedback, might be the appropriate word, on letting her do that. <laughs> but, you yeah, know, no we were, that was very intentional for us and our, you know, our kids were equipped to do those things. Our, our, her younger brother, when he was 15, he went to Guatemala from Canada by himself for a month to live and work and volunteer there. We got a lot of feedback about that too. But, you know, our philosophy all the way along through our kids' education is that we're not raising children, we're raising adults. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they are capable and demonstrate an adult level of ability to do a thing, we've allowed them to do it. Knock on wood, we have had no major catastrophes, not even one broken bone with these four kids. Really? Over the 25-year long haul. No, it's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's an impressive record. Yeah, especially because you know that I kind of threw them off cliffs a little. <laughs> well, as you said, like it's 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 really yeah, they're you know kind of a sense of yeah, they're ready for this, and yeah. well, and then honestly, as a parent, you're ready to let go. That's probably the harder part is, is the parent and the, <laughs> and the kid. They're like, yeah, sure, this is no problem. It's the parents who uh, 
have that hard time of, of, of letting go. And a lot of that's just sort of baked into how we've, how we've, how we've grown up. Yeah. So let's, let's fast forward to kind of, kind of to this year now with, with the pandemic and everything you're working now, you're working, you know, with a lot of, a lot of parents who are beyond school and, and helping them kind of figure out their path. And we'll, we'll get into that in more detail. What the, I'm kind of curious, like, what are some of the biggest challenges that parents are coming to you with? Or even like, you know, since you, since you launched this back in, was it May, June, I think? Yeah, well, I launched it in May. I've done, you know, as you know, I've done this work for years, but this year it, it has just exploded. It's just a different world. Yeah, it's kind of become your, your main, your main yeah, focus, your right. mission. Yeah, it's, it is. And it will be for the foreseeable future. So what, what are some of the, the biggest challenges that our parents are coming to you with these days? I think the biggest one is actually philosophical. You know, over and over and over this summer, I've had conversations with people who are just really devastated by how fragile the system is and by how much it's not delivering on the social compact. You know, we have this assumption about school and about education, and most people don't even give it a second thought. They just put their kids on the big yellow bus when they're five, because as you say, that's what we're used to. That's how we've been raised. It's how we went to school. And it never occurs to them that what's happening at school might not be what they expected. You know, they might not be delivering academically in the way that they expected, but also just, you know, the the social aspect of it, the political aspect of it, the cultural aspect of it. So many parents are just finding themselves really crushed to discover that this system is not serving their family in the way that they thought that it was. And this realization has come to them through the pandemic as they've gotten more of a window into you know, what classroom like is really like, life is really like, what the teachers are really like, what the curriculum that's actually being delivered as opposed to what they say is being delivered. And I've just been doing a lot of listening and, you know, compassionately saying, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry you're experiencing that. But, you know, mm. it, at first I thought it was one or two or three families or school districts. And what's becoming clear is that parents kind of en masse are awakening to the fact that uh, the schools are not delivering on pick a thing in the way that they need to be to serve these kids. And that's been really hard because mm. I don't want to believe that that's a thing. Wow. So really, I, I hadn't expected that. I'm actually kind of tingling up. Like it's really a, almost like going through a grieving process. They are. Many know? of them are. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot, lot less about finding the solution as it is letting go of something that was held so tightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer there. Yeah. Well, because we have an emotional attachment to it for better or for worse, school was either great and we loved it and it was so important to us and the friends were amazing. And, you know, we have that kind of connection or it was the bane of our existence and we hated it, but there's still a tie in who we are and who we become that's related to how we were educated for better or for worse. And I think for a lot of families, like they, they really had a lot of faith in the community aspect of their local schools. And what they're finding is that that's not, you know, given the weight of a crisis, it's not bearing up. And so then what do you do? And they feel quite adrift because there's not even leadership or structure being provided to try to, you know, from within that structure of school and and the state and the countries even that we live in to provide any support for parents in how to maintain that or recreate that or reimagine that. And a lot of parents feel very adrift. And I, I can see why they feel that way because for many of them, the facts are harsh right now. Yeah. Heavy thing. I'm sure even within the school systems themselves, you know, those who are 
I mean, obviously everyone's trying to do their best. Of course they are. And it's got to be really hard and, and difficult as a teacher, principal, what have you. Not imagine. Because um, they they don't have the answers either. They're, they're, I'm sure a lot of them are realizing, yeah, this, this is working. We don't, we don't know what to do. No. Yeah. No. And the thing I do know is that at the local level, I've yet to experience one teacher or administrator at the local level who is not working so hard and doing their absolute best. But, you know, the realization I came to 25 years ago when I chose to step out of that system myself and chose intentionally not to, to subject my children to it was that the system is just really gravely broken. And it's not about more money or more teachers or more resources or more any of the things that we tend to throw at problems to fix them. It's a, there's a philosophical problem. And that's what is becoming apparent now for people, like at, on a much larger scale. And it's not... You know, the teachers can't fix it in this situation, nor can the administrators. It's, it's entrenched and it's problematic. And it has been for a long time and for a lot of people, but now it is for everyone in some way. Yeah. So you talk about beyond school as, as, a, as a third way. And we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the inherent challenges with the traditional school system and why fundamentally it's just not going to work for, for a lot of families because of yeah. the inherent foundation. I'm also curious about the the other side, right? Which doesn't get a lot of lip service, in my, certainly not right now. What do you say is is also not working about traditional homeschooling, which you know is typically the, the immediate alternative, right? Let's kind of take this uh, the the school model and bring it home and try to do our best to be teacher and whatnot. Um, obviously, there's diff- many different flavors of homeschooling, but what's what's not working about that for you and perhaps for a lot of parents who are looking for options? Well, the reason we have, we've pushed beyond school down the path of a, a third way between traditional education and homeschooling is that both of those extremes have shortcomings for some children. And the best options often are hybrid models. That's true in lots of industries. It's also true in education. Education is not one size fits all. And the best versions of it never have been. Probably the, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the very worst way to try to homeschool is to try to replicate public school at home because it's apples and oranges, right? Like it's not about the learning. It's a, it's a structural process that makes it work in a school setting because of the logistics of many children from many backgrounds and teachers and buildings and, you know, the need for childcare. Like that structure works kind of in the way that it's intended to in that setting. But you try to do that at home. And it's kind of a nightmare. You know, it's really frustrating and it's, it's just a lot. Because education isn't actually about either of the structures, home or school. It's about how a person gains the knowledge, both academic and lifestyle and cultural and emotional and social, to do the thing that they were born to do. And the delivery method for that can vary, and I think should vary widely, between families. And you're right. There are many, many flavors of homeschooling. But one of the things that that I became aware of this summer in my work with people is that the stereotypes and the biases and the presuppositions that average parents who have put their kids in school and followed the more traditional path have around the words related to homeschooling are really problematic. And that was a, yeah. that was a blocker for a lot of people. And so right. we, we took those words out of our school and out of our branding because there's you know many of the parents, maybe most of the parents I'm working with right now, their kids are in some form of institutional schooling, be that e-learning or a pod school, or a community group. A friend of mine stopped by this morning, and they have a, a Haudenosaunee school on the island that they are, they're doing two days a week. 
led by a, a woman who has actually helped build the Indigenous curriculum for Ontario public and high schools, elementary and high schools. And she's doing that here locally for some of the kids. But they're in our public schools three days a week and they're doing that two days a week. And so oh, that's fascinating. these hybrid models, I think, are, are the best option for everyone. And they can be totally unique. And I, that is where I see the future of education going. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I love that. So within Beyond School, then, how are you addressing these challenges that, that parents are coming to you with? So once they've gone beyond the perhaps the grieving stage to some degree, and they're ready to look at, you know, finding that third way that, you know, the creative option, yeah. as you said, there's so many different ways to go, which that can be daunting. And probably one reason why a lot of families kind of default to bringing the school model home because it is mm -hmm. hard to see something else that's different. Yeah. How, how do you help parents navigate that myriad of, of possibilities? That's a great question. We have a number of, we're calling them boot camps, that are designed to help parents with the philosophical piece. Because really, you know, educating children is not that complicated a process. Learning to facilitate the education of someone else is, is a doable thing. But we have this mental block. We have this belief that we have to be teachers of some sort. So a lot of the effort that we're putting in is helping parents flip that switch and flip the narrative in their head that they can't teach their kids and instead show them all of the ways in which they already are and then provide tools for them to create more of that good learning. For some families, they want to build a full curriculum that's academic that is meeting a particular goal or need their child has. We're helping them to do that. For other families, what they really need more of is encouragement in building family culture and enrichment and ways to draw in education that's happening all around us. You know, our tagline is learning happens everywhere. Learning happens always. And once you recognize that as a parent and you learn to become a student of your student, pay attention to your child, it becomes a lot easier to figure out kind of what little fun things to seed next to them that they, they may or may not love, they may or may not run with, but when you find one that they do, you feed them another one. So we're doing a lot of work helping parents learn how to do that, learn how to facilitate better. And then we've also got a whole range of classes that we're developing for adults and for kids that are by subject matter experts. And our goal is to have a vetted world-class team of people who can provide really excellent online education that bridges the gap between the real world and, you know, just a Zoom classroom where you, you sit and you wait and you listen. You know, we've got interactive music classes, interactive art classes, interactive anti-racism classes, things that are timely and helpful and, you know, meet the needs, the holes that are left right now by COVID schooling. Yeah, I was going to say, when, when I was looking at your, your website, like a lot of the programs and courses there, I, you just, I just don't see other places, you know, they're, <laughs> right. they're yeah, right. So it's, which is really exciting to, to see yeah. very rich, very, very nurturing. So if I'm a parent and kind of list, listening to all of this, I mean, it sounds kind of interesting. It sounds like an exciting possibility. How can I build confidence? Maybe you've, maybe you've already addressed it, but I don't know. I feel like there's something still lingering. How can a parent feel confident that they're, they're going in the right path, right? I mean, even if you choose something, like there's always those doubts. How, how, do, you, how do you course correct and, and, and make sure that, you know, if, if your hope is to at least give them the option to go to university someday, I mean, obviously you've proven with your family that you do not have to go to traditional school to, to, to yeah. thrive in, in that way. But, or did they take um, one single standardized test? So that's, you know, if people are interested in how to do that, let me know. That's another podcast. 
we'll have to do a series. <laughs> the Jen and Jerry's. Yeah, I hear what you're saying though about the doubts. And you know what, what comes up immediately for me in that is that if you don't have doubts as a parent as to whether or not you're doing it right for a particular child, you might not be thinking about it yet. <laughs> because I think people who really are thoughtful and intentional about their kids' education and who really are paying attention to where they're at and what's next, we're plagued by doubts because parenting is massively complicated. And, you know, you've got three kids. So, you know, you know, when you have one child, you think, oh, yes, I've got this all dialed in. No problem. And then you have the second child and the third child and the fourth child. And you realize that there is almost no overlap. Like you want to teach the same things, but the way you teach them is going to be wildly different kid to kid. And of course, you have doubts about that. Like it's it came to me years ago that it is not possible to do this job of parenting and educating kids. Quote, right. There is no right way. What we can do is to do our best at every point and doing your best every day, even though your best is going to vary widely over a week or a day, even or years, you're doing your best every day. For most of us over the 20 year long haul of raising a human, your best is good enough, you know, and we're like, we're going to mess it up. And, you know, the families that I'm building structured curriculums with, I, I say to them, like, let's Let's make the choice, best choices we can and then recognize that if in two or three months it's not working, it's okay. We can change gears. Um, you have that flexibility, yeah. yeah. And we need which, to. which is liberating in some ways. Yeah. So I'm also curious, like, I mean, you've worked with so many families over 20 years, of course, but right now, like in the COVID world, what, what are the kinds of families that are, I mean, is there quite a range and diversity of families who are choosing a new path? There is. One of the concerns that I have is that there's not enough diversity because the the families who have the ability, the resources to do other things, you know, they, they have the flexibility of having one parent perhaps who can dedicate a substantial amount of time to caring for the children. Uh, you know, in terms of racial makeup, we have maybe five or six percent uh, are folks that are other than white. The financial demographics of the people that I'm seeing, not just in beyond school, but in this movement in general right now tends to be above average. You know, these are are people that have some time and some money and some resources to throw at this project. And one of the things that we're really dedicated to and have been actively working on from the beginning with beyond school is increasing diversity there and, you know, making resources available to people who otherwise just could not afford it. And we have that baked into all of our classes. So if you're a person listening to this and you, you think, yeah, well, this alternative education thing is great. If you have time, money and, you know, whatever else you need, please contact us because we have scholarship places in every single class. We have a fund to allow people to get one-on-one -on -one consulting work from the right person and still have that, you know, the person paid, but also make sure that this person gets exactly what they need. Like that's, that's one of the things that we really want to move the needle on a little bit in alternative education because... Traditionally, alternative education, whether that's Montessori or Waldorf or homeschooling or pick a thing, there's, a, there's an implied degree of privilege there often. And we, in order for this to become a real shift in the way people do education, we have to solve that problem and we have to get beyond that. Yeah, that's probably more than you were wanting me to say. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, know, I know that's, that's really the core of your, your mission. And it's, it is a real problem. It, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're addressing that in the way that you can obviously it's it's a bigger systemic thing and but you're kind of modeling that path and you know hopefully you know we'll see more from a structural perspective from a government perspective you know mm -hmm. instead of tying all of our money into that one school system that 
you can start enabling. That's one of the things that's frustrating to me is that the money is definitely there. Yeah, it's that's... I had a, a fun chat with one mom this summer who's who she's spending forty thousand dollars to have her second or third grader in a in a private school, and she was concerned about you know how they were going to replicate that. And I just laughed, and I, you know I was joking, <laughs> but I said to her, you know, give me a thirty thousand dollar budget to design your school for your kid for one year, and watch what can be done. You know, like with that kind of resource level, oh my gosh, I don't think I spent that much money on, I know I didn't spend that much money on all my kids <laughs> for all of their school materials for the whole 20 years we had them. You know, it's just... That's, wow. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's stunning. It is. But it's also, I mean, it's also a reality. You know, I spoke with a lady at Business Insider in August about this specific thing, the, you know, the resource hoarding. And that's a real problem. And it's it's completely solvable and it's not necessary. But it's also really instinctive for a lot of people because you want your kids to get the thing, right? And you'll do anything for them to have the best they can possibly have. And so the byproduct of that is that other kids are left behind. And that's one of the big pros of public school is the equalizing that happens. And the resource distribution makes sure that everyone gets an equal share. That's one of the things I love about that model. And we've yet to solve or replicate that in alternative Mm. ed. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's also a big part of what this podcast is all about. Modern education movement is, yeah. is to show people that there are options, there are choices, and to start to you know, keep that dialogue going, raising these issues and, and creating that movement of parents and educators and entrepreneurs who, who want to make those shifts happen. And you know, some of the, some of the, some of the there's been some amazing things that have happening in the last year. There's a lot of startups that are, have some, you know, like my son's at Galileo. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's 2000 US for a year, but it's like, I think how much, you know, families spend on hockey for, you know, for three or four months. Like I've, I've heard some crazy numbers, like five, even 10 grand. Yeah. It's there. It's a lot. (laughs) So there there are, you know, to me, the good news is, I mean, it's not always, not everyone can still fit in a model like Galileo, but there's, there's many different approaches that are coming out there and, and that's exciting to see. Yeah. It is. It is. And I, you know, I don't know for Galileo, but I would hope that all of these startups, all these businesses that they have baked into their models, support and scholarship for lots of students who cannot otherwise access it. And that, you know, that's one of the things at Beyond School that we're really trying to be thought leaders on, aside from the educational aspect, which I think is going to be game changing and just fun because we have, we have a, our long-term vision is like cradle to grade. You're going to be able to get stuff there when you're pregnant with your kid and you're going to be able to get stuff there when you're an old person retiring and everywhere in between career shift. Like we've got a very big vision wow. for this. Yeah. This is a lot more than just kids. More than Spanish and music lessons. Um, <laughs> Would but, you like to take something on? You take it on. Well, you know, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but I also like we're, we're very committed to being thought leaders in this space in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion in both in building business structure but also in the ways in which we we serve, because until that piece changes, there's a massive segment of humanity that's left out, and that's not okay. We we cannot be perpetrating a system that that continues to celebrate and encourage oppression, which is what's happened traditionally, and that stops now, as far as I'm concerned. Well, let's let's talk into that a little bit then, because I'm sure there's people listening who'd be like, yeah. I'm all about that. I'd like to help cause a shift. And I'm sure you've got some thoughts around that. So what, what, can, what can we do as people in the education space who are, who are trying to 
provide solutions, but also as, as parents, as, as yeah. kids, what, what can we be doing collectively to, to start making the shift so that there is that equality for all? I, I see these kinds of things in concentric circles from, you know, your personal commitments, your family, your community, and then the rest of the world. And I, you know, at a very basic level, on the personal level, we've all got to get absolutely committed to anti-racist action and to equity and inclusion. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news this morning on CBC, there was an article about a, an incident that happened at a Catholic high school here in Ontario that was just overtly racist and, and terrible. Wow. No, I, I didn't. You know, there's, there's a lot, you know, people in Canada, they'll say, oh, well, you know, Canada is not racist like the U.S. is. And, you know, it, just because we happen to be sitting next to a troll doesn't mean that we don't have our own problems. <laughs> like, you know, this is, <laughs> this is bigger than a country, right? This is a systemic worldwide problem. And um, so, you know, commitment on a personal level to that. And, you know, to me, what that looks like is ongoing education, openness to learning, celebrating and putting yourself into relationships and mentorship positions with people of color who can help us take our blinders off as white people and see the world. And then, you know, with our kids, decolonizing education, that's a big topic right now and a buzzword and that, you know, people, people talk about that. But what I'd like to see is some action on that front. We have an anti-racism course. It's a six week short course for kids eight and up. Shockingly, we're having a really hard time getting people to sign up for that. We have some, but I would have thought right now, lots of people would be doing that. Where is our active commitment as parents to make sure that this is built into our kids' education, full stop? And then beyond that, you know, once you have those personal commitments, once you begin your growth and your children's growth, what does that look like? And how do you do that in your community? One, one little family that I know stood all by themselves on Columbus Day out in front of their school, three siblings and a, and a dad holding signs about the, the problematic messaging around Columbus Day, you know, wow. and th that's, that's their that's family's amazing. tiny action within their community. And then, you know, once those things begin to snowball, like maybe next year, there'll be two families, right? You just open people's eyes one, one step at a time. And, and then when we're building businesses that have the possibility to impact people globally or your podcast with a massive reach, of course, those things are going to trickle over into that and, and we'll have a bigger impact. But if, if we're not dealing with stuff on the inside, everything else is window dressing. And there's been way too much of that over the years. Wow. One final question that just came into my mind is I, I know we're getting a lot of, from the stats I've been looking at over our past week, which has been incredible. Uh, yeah. We're getting a lot of listeners from all over the world. So do, do you work with families like in many different contexts and cultures and so on? We do. Yeah, our team is actually bi-national. My, my two business partners are in the UK and we're working with families. Gosh, I've worked with families in probably 30 or 40 countries overall, I'd have to count. But yeah, we're working with people everywhere because this is not just about, you know, what's happening in, in North America or in Europe with, with schools as a result of COVID. There's been an, a, a tide rising in educational change over the last 10 or 15 years. And this, you know, this is just one wave break. And I think the, the, the changes need to be global and not just national, because that's, you know, if it only affects people in Europe and North America, well, then that's another level of a lack of diversity, equity and inclusion. And, you know, I'm working with families in Central America and we've got teachers on board that are from all over the world as well, because that's really important for, you know, not 
not just the learning side of it, but the, the facilitating and teaching side of it needs to be adequately diverse and international. So yeah, anyone anywhere can, can contact us and we will do our best to help and connect you with resources in your area. Yeah, and clearly, clearly you're, you're already doing that in, in an amazing <laughs> yeah. way. So, wow, this has been, been awesome. Our hour went too fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were already having a good conversation before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Ex- any, 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 anything lingering for you that you just really want to, to share with parents, families, kids out there who are listening in right now? And maybe, you know, having a, a tough time during all everything with COVID and, and whatnot. Yeah. I read an article this morning that was in the Boston Globe. It was an opinion piece by a woman who was reflecting on the ways in which in Jewish culture, they take these years off. And I can't remember the word for it. I, I apologize for that. I didn't expect to, to talk about it this morning. But, you know, she was saying, why, why is it that we're forcing this education issue so hard this year for kids? Why are we insisting that kids sit in front of screens for six hours a day? Why are we pretending that education can be normal, whatever that means to people this year? What if we took a page out of this book of Jewish history and culture where you give people a year off, a sabbatical, if you will, a way for them to rest and rejuvenate and explore. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful way to phrase that, that word, because I've been talking about that with families in the context of let's take an academic gap here this year. Like let's, let's set aside what everyone says we have to do because it's becoming clear. The schools are not even delivering on what they say they're going to do this year. So normal education is not on the table for anyone. And given that piece of freedom, why would you pick the most restrictive, most terrible, most difficult for your child method? Why not instead Take a gap year together at home. Don't have to go anywhere. Don't have to do anything. Free up space to play, to learn together, to read together, to make projects, to explore, just to include your kid in daily life. It doesn't even have to be super premeditated, just to be together and then teach through what comes up. And that's, you know, that de-schooling process. It would be a term you're familiar with, I'm sure, but maybe not some of your listeners where you, you take an intentional break. And for the kid, it looks like just play and free time. But from the parent side, when it's well done, you're actually studying your child. You're learning about who they are and how they learn and what they're interested in. And you're exploring ways to facilitate with them in recognition that learning is happening everywhere and learning is happening always. So if people are feeling stressed out, I would say, call me and I will give you that speech in person if you like. But you know, taking a deep breath and just being with what actually is rather than trying to force a thing that is no longer, I think would be my biggest encouragement. Well, it's a wonderful place to leave, leave this conversation. Thanks so much, Jen. Thank you. It's been really fun. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, we're excited for, um, for families and for what you're doing. So needed. And I'd love to see you lighting up about, you know, something that you're so passionate about that's making such a difference and, and being a cause for, for good in the world. And, and, you know, creating the world we want to live in. So, yeah, it's exciting. So, for everyone uh, listening out there, uh, there'll be some uh, links in the show notes. Beyondschool.co. I think that's the... co. That's right, because we're registered in the UK, not in the states. Right, right, and uh, and I know you've got some ongoing uh, boot camps and workshops. So definitely, you know, go to the website and, and check that out there. And how else can uh, can people reach you if they have a question or 
Uh, they can just send us an email at hello at beyondschool.co and that will that will come to myself or Leah or Lucy and we will get back to you. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Jen, for being on the show today. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me.